I'd like to thank both um, Mike Boyd and Will Kennard for the job that they did yesterday. We had a great time in the golf course, and uh, well done, men. We, we enjoyed our time together. Some of us are um, just sunburned. We could be embarrassed about our golf game, but it is a sunburn. So, but we did have a great time together. Last week, I started the message with a poem to live up above with the saints that we love. Oh, that will be glory. But to live here below with the saints that we know, well, that's a, that's a different story. As many of you know, Cynthia and I, in these recent days, have been confronted by both of those realities. Saying goodbye to her mom as she makes her move to life up above. And then this past Wednesday morning, welcoming our first granddaughter to life here below, Josephine Sophia Grace. It's really the unavoidable cycle of life, inescapable. And you've been there. You know the joy that comes with the arrival of a, a new baby, safe arrival. And you've also tasted the grief, and the heartache, and the sadness that accompanies the death of someone that you know and love. Birth and death, unavoidable realities of life. Remember Stephen Jobs of Apple computer fame, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer? He died at the ripe old age of 56. Listen to his reflection as he contemplated the end of life here below. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make big choices in life. Because almost everything all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Our study of the Gospel of John, we've come to the final week of Jesus' life here below. I suppose we could say he is in that only what is truly important season of his life. In John chapters 13 through 16, Jesus is found preparing the twelve for his imminent departure. They had sequestered themselves in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem so that they could celebrate the Passover meal together, away from the crowds. But the twelve became eleven when Judas departed. He left them, went out into the darkness to make the final arrangements for his betrayal of Jesus. Later, in John chapter 17, Jesus and the remaining eleven have departed that upper room and are making their way through the dark and dusty streets of the city of Jerusalem on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be betrayed by Judas 
with a kiss, handed over to his sworn enemies. But as they walked, Jesus began to pray. And he prayed first for himself, then for his disciples, and then for all of us. All who will believe as a result of the message of those disciples. Last week we focused on, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 17. We focused on verses 20 to 23. In these verses, Jesus prayed that we would become one. As we live here below with the saints that we know. We identified two implications from this portion of Jesus' prayer. The first, the kind of oneness for which Jesus was praying is a God thing. It's a oneness established by belief in Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ, on the truth, the truth of God's Word, and it requires God's help. This oneness is not something you and I can create on our own. We can't do it apart from his involvement. It is a supernatural oneness. The second implication was that this oneness was never intended to be an end in and of itself. In fact, according to verses 21 and 23, it is so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love those who genuinely believe. And we all said, Amen. Let it be so. May the Rock Community Church be that kind of church that we are all one, even as the Father is in Jesus and Jesus in the Father. But that was not the end of his prayer. Folks, there is more. And so this morning, we'll complete our study of Jesus' high priestly prayer by focusing on the final three verses of John chapter 17. In these verses, we'll discover that Jesus expresses a couple of desires. Desires for those who will believe in him as the Christ, the Son of God. There is the with me desire and the in them desire. For those who are able, will you please stand with me for the reading from God's word. I'll begin reading in John chapter 17, verse 20. Beginning at verse 20 of John chapter 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, 
that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, again we pause to acknowledge your inescapable presence and to express our appreciation for this written revelation. Thank you for the Bible and for the opportunities we have to read it, study it, and even think about its implications. These scriptures inform us of who you are, of our relationship with you, and how we can live in ways that please you and are really in our best interest. And so as we focus on this portion of Jesus' high priestly prayer this morning, revealing his deepest heartfelt desires for genuine believers, may we be encouraged. Find new energies to persevere through life's challenging circumstances, overcome habitual sin, resist temptation, be spurred on to love and good deeds. Father, teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Departing desires are truly important. It is like his last will and testament. Jesus delivers it in the form of a prayer. Notice the first part of verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. You see, it is a with me desire. You may want to underline those two words, with me. Jesus is really reinforcing what he has already said in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. There he was speaking to calm his disciples after he had insisted that he was departing and that where he was going, there was no way that they could follow. Additionally, he also pointed out that Peter, the Twelve's spokesperson, well, he would deny knowing him, not once, not twice, but on three separate occasions. It was then that Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in me. Believe in God. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. 
If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then we come to John chapter 17, and we find Jesus expressing a with-him desire, consisting of a longing to be in the company of genuine believers. Even ones who mess up occasionally. The truth is, he values each and every one of us. As much as a shepherd of a hundred sheep who loses one, goes out and looks until he finds it. As much as a woman with ten silver coins rejoices when she finds the one that she has lost. Or as much as a father who rejoices when he is reunited with a rebellious but now repentant son. All spelled out in Luke chapter 15. In the same way, Jesus longs for genuine believers to be with him where he is. Beloved, if that does not warm your heart, I don't know what will. The Upper Thames Brewery Company profits on this kind of longing that's in every human heart. In fact, the chorus of that theme song for that famous TV sitcom confirms the same longing. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And there's, they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. We all want to be in a place, in a place where people know our name, where we're valued, listened to, where we have that sense of belonging, where people are glad to see us come. But let me just say that bars and brewing companies only offer a deceptive and temporary replica. Jesus is, is expressing a desire that he wants to satisfy that longing that is in every human part, heart. And so he prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. Does that phrase, whom you have given me, sound familiar at all? Let's look back through John chapter 17, verse 2. All whom you have given me. Verse 6. The men you gave me. Verse 9. Those whom you have given me. Verse 12. Which you have given me. Said the same thing earlier in John chapter 6. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. In verse 44 of that same chapter, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus' with me desire 
consists of a longing to be in the company of those the Father has given him and drawn to himself. But why? Why would the Father draw and give Jesus these individuals? Well, look at the end of verse 24. So that, it's a purpose statement, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' with me desire consists of a longing for us to know him for who he truly is. We have recently defined glory on several occasions through past messages. The glory of God is essentially the manifestation of who he really is, his, the beauty of his character in all that he is. Look back at verse 5. This is part of Jesus' prayer request for himself. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So apparently, Jesus' humanity masked some of his glory, the glory which he had before he became incarnate. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 informs us, although he existed in the form of God, he, that's Jesus, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So following his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus' glory, that former glory, was restored as he sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And it is that, that glory, that Jesus is wanting to share with genuine believers, with you and with me. To see him in all his glory. To see him for who he truly is. Listen as I read 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. Either he returns, or we will go to be with him. We will depart from this life below. Either or. For now, it seems that it's one by one. As we die, genuine believers are being gathered into his presence. And we see him in all his glory. And when we do that, we become like him. Being in his presence is transformative. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 speaks of this transformative power. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. For, we, for now, we... We see his glory 
through a mirror dimly. But here in John chapter 17, Jesus is anticipating and praying for that day when we will see him face to face. Jesus' desire is for us to know him for who he truly is, and that's heaven. Being with Jesus and seeing him in all his glory, and Jesus' with me desire also consists of a longing to see us arrive safely home in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 is one of a, it's just a favorite verse of mine. I specifically like the way that the NLT translates this verse. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died. He died for sinners. And here's the phrase I like, to bring us safely home to God. I've used this poem on not a few occasions when involved in graveside services for believers. It's titled, Safely Home. I'm home in heaven, dear ones, all so happy, all so bright. There's perfect joy and beauty in this everlasting light. All the pain and grief are over, Every restless tossing past, I'm now at peace forever, safely home in heaven at last. Did you wonder I so calmly trod the valley of the shade? Oh, but Jesus' love illumined every dark and fearful glade. And he came himself to meet me on that way so hard to tread. And with Jesus' arm to lean on, could I have one doubt or dread? Then you must not grieve so sorely, for I love you dearly still. Try to look beyond earth's shadows. Pray to trust our Father's will. There is work still waiting for you, so you must not idly stand. Do your work while life remaineth. You shall rest. In Jesus' land. When that work is all completed, he will gently call you home. Oh, the rapture of the meeting. Oh, the joy to see you come. Here in John chapter 17, verse 24, it's Jesus who is anticipating our arrival. The truth is, as one commentator wrote, our Lord is the one who prays us into heaven. Think about that. He wants us there. It's not difficult to understand that we would desire to be with him. This is the part that I like. It is staggering to think that he desires to be with us. Departing desires are truly important. If you are a genuine believer, 
if you're trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus longs to be with you at home in heaven at last. And if you're not a genuine believer, my goodness, why not? What, what is keeping you from making that decision? What's preventing you from believing in him? For those who are trusting Jesus, I want to remind us all of the final words to his 11 remaining disciples just prior to beginning his prayer in John chapter 17. It reads, In this world you will have troubles, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Helps to know that in the midst of life's troubles and challenges, we have a God who, when dressed in human flesh, expressed his desire to be with us. The first is a with me desire. The second is an in them desire. Look at verse 25. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and have made your name known to them, and will make it known. Earlier in his prayer for the elevens, Jesus had prayed for the elevens' preservation. He knew that he was leaving them to live in a hostile world. Remember, it was a world that Jesus warned them would, would hate them, would persecute them, would unsynagogue them, and in fact, would kill them. And so Jesus prayed on their behalf in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Holy Father emphasizes his perfection, a perfection that separates him or sets him apart from all that is not. But then we come to verse 25, and Jesus is differentiating between those who know him and those, he don't, those who don't. And he addresses him as righteous father. He is a God who knows and does the right thing in every circumstance. The psalmist declares, but the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity, with fairness. He is a righteous father. You may want to underline that word known in these two verses. It shows up five times. Jesus in them desire 
consists of a longing for his father to be known. Remember A.W. Tozer's quote that comes from that book, Knowledge of the Holy? I think it's in the preface of the book. He said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. But what happens if our knowledge of God is limited? If the well is dry, what will come to our minds? A scenario like that, ignorance is not bliss. It is debilitating. We are spiritually impaired, dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus prayed that we would know the Father because without his intervention, we will remain spiritually blind. We are incapable of figuring out these spiritual realities on our own. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter, you may not have had to write any exams this past week because your average is so high. It doesn't matter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, speaks of our inability to grasp the truth about things of God. It reads, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, He cannot understand them. Incapable. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 affirms our spiritual impairment. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Knowing God and understanding spiritual realities does not come naturally to any one of us. And so Jesus prays. He prays on our behalf that we might know his Father. Additionally, it is significant that Jesus closes his prayer with both a vow to his Father and a a promise to you and I. Look at the words. I have made your name known to them and will make it known. And it's he will continue to make his father's name known, meaning that all that the father is will be known to us. And this includes two possibilities. Number one, he could be referring to those final events of the Passion Week. Death by crucifixion, resurrection, and final ascension. All that will take place in the next few hours, the next few days, and the next few weeks. He ascends into heaven. It's reported in Acts chapter 1. But it could also include the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he promised to send following his departure. Remember John chapter 14, verse 16 reads, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, 
but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, verse 26, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That same Spirit, the Apostle Paul referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Now we have received, talking to believers in the city of Corinth, now we have believed, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us of God. Jesus is committed to making his Father known to genuine believers. After all, he is actually the very best person to make that happen. According to John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed him. He has exegeted, explained the Father. Jesus in them desire also consists of a longing for us to be the recipients and channels of the Father's love. Later in his life, this same Apostle John, who wrote this gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus, writes some letters. 1 John chapter 4, you may want to turn there with me. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. These are his words. And what's significant is this John is the same John that shared a nickname with his brother. They were called Sons of Thunder, suggesting maybe a hot-tempered personality. But these are his words years later after walking with Christ. Look at verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, paid the price for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. In us. Again, this kind of love, the love of God, is not something you and I can fabricate or capture or produce all on our own. And that is why Jesus prayed for us as he did. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 provides the answer to Jesus' prayer, or at least how it's possible to be answered. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. It's a supernatural love. Jesus in them 
desire consists of a longing to indwell us. I trust we have all highlighted John chapter 14, verse 23 in our previous studies. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode in him. If that were as easy as it sounds, Jesus wouldn't have prayed as he did. About 25 years after coming to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, the Apostle Paul expresses his continuing goal, his driving force in his life, that thing that got him up out of bed every single morning. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I might know him. Perhaps some may think living in the first century Palestine would have been a huge advantage. Being part of the crowd with Jesus sitting on the hillside teaching us. I beg to differ. You and I have access like never before to the written word of God. All 66 books we hold in our hands. We can read it, study it, really anytime it's totally accessible. Not only that, we have the Spirit of God living within us as believers, promising to be our teacher, a tutor, and empowering us even to obey what we read. The advantage is all ours, beloved. Will we take advantage of it? Departing de desires are truly important. In the end, Jesus closes his prayer by expressing two desires. Two desires for those who believe, who have believed, and those who will believe as a result of their message. A desire to be with me and a desire to be in them. Listen to these lyrics from the chorus of a hit song by the Roscoe Flats. My wish for you is that this life becomes all that you want it to. Your dreams stay big and your worries stay small. You never need to carry more than you can hold. And while you're out there getting where you're getting to, I hope you know somebody loves you and wants the same things too. Yeah. This is my wish for you. Well, Jesus didn't wish for you and I, but he did pray for us. For himself, then for his disciples, and then for all those who will believe as a result of their message. And that, my friends, includes both you and me. And he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That we would be with him in heaven, seeing his glory. 
and that we would be indwelt by his Father's love and him personally. May we be encouraged as we contemplate these desires expressed by Jesus in prayer, in his prayer for you and for me. May they spur us on to love and good deeds and give us courage and perseverance as we face the challenges of even this week. Let's pray. Father, your word claims to be profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This morning, we thank you for Jesus' words of encouragement found in his prayer for us as he approached the end of his life. May they spur us on to love and good deeds as we leave this place to serve others, and to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Spirit for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.